0: The Bible tells us, in no uncertain terms, that we were all born sinners, spiritually disconnected from God because of sin. We started out spiritually dead, with low thoughts about God and high thoughts about ourselves. We want to do our own thing, to be our own gods, really. Because of this sinful condition, we have wrong ideas about who God is and what he's like, or we may even question if there's a God at all. Since our lives are infected by sin, we end up with broken relationships, self-destructive behavior, sinful habits, bitterness, and confusion as to what life is all about. Well, the good news of the gospel is that the Lord Jesus Christ came into the world to remedy this dire situation by taking care of the root cause of all of our problems, sin. As the sinless substitute, he was able to bear our sins and put them away Bridging the Broken Connection with God Again. Join us as Evangelist Mr. Frank Sona looks at just how Christ the Savior dealt with our sin problem and offers us eternal life. I want to look with
1: you at a very, very familiar story in the Gospel of John, chapter 11. It's the account of Lazarus and the raising of the dead of this man. It is likely one of the most famous accounts in the Gospel of John. And it is the last of seven signs that is done by the Lord Jesus in this great gospel. Now, a certain man was sick, named Lazarus of Bethany, the town of Mary and her sister Martha. Verse 3, therefore his sister sent unto him, unto Jesus, saying, Lord, behold, he whom thou lovest is sick. When Jesus heard that, he said, this sickness is but for the glory of God that the son of God might be glorified thereby. Verse seven. Then after that, saith he to his disciples, let us go into Judea again. His disciples say unto him, master, the Jews of late sought to stone thee and goest thou thither again. Jesus answered, are there not 12 hours in a day? If any man walk in the day, he stumbleth not because he seeth the light of this world. But if a man walk in the night, he stumbleth because there is no light in him. These things said he, And after that he saith unto them, our friend Lazarus sleepeth, but I go that I may wake him out of sleep. And the Lord Jesus was using symbolic metaphorical language. Then said his disciples, totally missing the point, being confused about what the Lord Jesus was actually saying. Lord, if he sleep, he shall do well. In other words, it's good for him to sleep. Is he not feeling well? Howbeit Jesus spake of his death. But they thought that he had spoken of taking rest, taking of rest and sleep. Then said Jesus unto them, plainly, Lazarus is dead. And I am glad for your sakes that I was not there. To the intent you may believe, nevertheless, let us go unto him. Verse 17, then when Jesus came, he found that he had lain in the grave four days already. Let's go down to verse 25. The Lord Jesus is speaking now to the sisters, to Martha. Jesus said unto her, I am the resurrection, and the life. He that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. And whosoever liveth and believeth in me shall never die. Believest thou this? She saith unto him, Yea, Lord, I believe that thou art the Christ, the Son of God, which should come into the world. Let's go down to verse 33. When Jesus therefore saw her weeping, and the Jews also weeping, there was a crowd that had gathered they had tried to comfort the sisters and so they were there as well and they were all weeping which came with her he groaned the lord jesus in spirit and was troubled and said where have ye laid him they said unto him lord come and see in the shortest verse in the bible jesus wept then said the jews behold how he loved him and some of them said could not this man which opened the eyes of the blind have caused that even this man should not have died. Jesus, therefore, again, groaning in himself, cometh to the grave. It was a cave, and a stone lay upon it. Let's go down to verse 39. Jesus said, Take away the stone. Martha, the sister of him that was dead, saith unto him, Lord, by this time he stinketh, for he hath been dead four days. Said I not unto thee, that if thou wouldest believe, thou shouldst see the glory of God? Then they took away the stone from the place where the dead was laid. The Lord Jesus prays. And then verse 43 And when he had thus spoken, he cried with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. And he that was dead came forth, bound hand and foot with grave clothes, and his face was bound about with a napkin. Jesus saith unto them, Loose him and let him go. Then many of the Jews which came to Mary, And had seen the things which Jesus did, believed on him. While this story, this account, is unique to John's gospel, yet there are similarities in it as we go to this sepulcher that really speak to all of us concerning our condition. There are cemeteries, for example, all over the world, they have different tombstones, different monuments, and so on. Some are set in cities, some are set in countries, some are even set on family plots. But one thing they are all marked by, no matter where they are, no matter who is in them and as far as their bodies are concerned, no matter what different stories preceded the people who are buried there, their lives, their circumstances, one thing marks every one of them, death. And I want you to think of the fact that that is true for all of us. We come into the world spiritually dead. The Bible makes that clear. We are separated from God. Now, not physically now. Physically, we come into the world alive, of course, but spiritually, the link is not made. We have no life, spiritually speaking. And why we are preaching the gospel, why this message is going forth, is to tell you from the authority of the Word of God that just as this account here in John 11 shows us a person who has no life. And the Lord Jesus alone is needed to go to that tomb and give this man life from among the dead. So in the same way, you, my friend, and every single person that comes into this world needs spiritual life. And the only one that can give that, the only one that can bring that, is the Lord Jesus Christ. And so as we look at this account, this has been an account not only an encouragement for saints too as well, that. It tells us about our Savior, who basically has has robbed the tomb and has conquered death. He brings light into the darkness. And for us who are saved, we know that we can say, oh, death, where is thy sting? Oh, grave, where's thy victory? We have one who has conquered death and sin and the grave, and he gives us hope and assurance. And because he lives, he himself went into death, and he rose from the dead, he has given us life. But it contains a tremendous message for the sinner one who is dead in sins and trespasses, one who has no spiritual life, that he is able to deliver you and give you the life you need for heaven itself, for eternity. It's interesting when you come to John's gospel that it begins with a sign and it ends with a sign. There are seven signs in John's gospel, these miracles that the Lord Jesus does. And of these seven signs, the first one begins with a family. There's a Cana in Galilee, and there's a family in and they're there, and there's a wedding that's taking place. And then the last sign, there's a family involved, isn't there? There are two sisters and a brother, and it's a funeral now, not a wedding. So John's gospel is telling us that here is a Savior for all seasons, for all circumstances, for all people, for all needs. But the greatest thing that he does is give life. The one thing that men need more than anything, the one thing we can't make, we can't do, we are absolutely powerless. When it comes to life and death. And we are greatly experiencing that right now, aren't we? We can provide hospital beds. We can provide situations. There's even a vaccination that's out that, you know, they're questioning its efficacy and so on. And how successful will it be? How many will get it? How soon? We are reminded so clearly when it comes to life and death, when it comes to eternity, no church, no organization, you yourself are absolutely powerless. But I want to tell you about a savior that can meet that need, that can give you eternal life. And he did it by dying on the cross. He did it by providing salvation from sin and its consequences. And the reason I'm telling you that is because the Bible makes it clear of why we do die. The wages of sin is death. Sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death. People die because we are sinners. The Lord Jesus Died for sin. And so, in doing that, he has paid the price for sin. And everyone that trusts him receives this life, eternal life. I want you to think, first of all, of the consequence that we are reminded of right at the beginning of this account. The consequence that's clearly death. It tells us right at the first verse a certain man, a certain man. But while it was a certain man, it was a common consequence. This account doesn't bring before us some specific disease, some specific individual event that only happened for one person at one time. This is telling us about something that happens to all people at all times. And so we are reminded of the consequences here of sin. Everyone is going to die. You are going to die. And so when it comes to that, I want to ask you, are you ready? Are you prepared? Do you have eternal life? If you died right now, If today were your last day on earth, where would you be? Where would you go? Heaven or hell are the eternal destinations of a human being. And if you breathe your last right now and you closed your eyes on earth, where would you open them? In heaven or in hell? Serious question. Every single person has to face it. There are some people that likely will go through this pandemic unscathed. They will not get COVID-19. Even though it's contagious and this, there are some people that will never get it. Wonderful. There are some people that will never get cancer. As rampant as that disease is. But everyone. Do you know anyone that hasn't died? And so you must face that. The consequence is given to us here in this account. There's something else I noticed today in reading this again. I want you to notice the confusion. There's a little bit of confusion here. Even among the Lord's disciples, the Lord Jesus told them that Lazarus is sleeping. And he was referring, of course, to the body of Lazarus. He was saying that he has died basically. In fact, they didn't get it, and he had to tell them plainly, it says, he's dead. How many people misunderstand death? How many people really misunderstand what is at stake, that what is actually on the table when it comes to dying, when it comes to your soul leaving your body, and the eternal ramifications of that? The Bible makes it clear of the reality of death, of why death is, and what it represents. Death is an enemy, sin is an enemy, and the two things go hand in hand. Please, dear listener, as I'm speaking to you, make no mistake about either what sin is or what death is. Sin, the unrighteousness, the breaking of God's laws, the actions that are contrary to the righteousness of God, whether it's a lie or whether it's murder, all sin is against God, and the wages of sin is death. We want you to grasp that. Don't be confused about it. Even the crowd later on was confused about issues, whether it was his disciples who misunderstood the Lord Jesus about when he spoke about death, or it was the crowd later on as they stood at the grave of Lazarus and they were actually laying blame on the Lord Jesus. And they said, could not this man have done this? And the sisters even said, if you were here, this had not happened. You know, it is a shame when people are so taken up with what the Lord doesn't do rather than what he does do. There are people that will blame God for this happening. And say, well, why doesn't he do this? And why doesn't he do that? Look at what he did do. He came into the world to save sinners. Look at what the Savior did when he gave his life, when he literally exposed his cheeks to the slapping and the spitting of men, when he extended his arms to the cruel bolts of Rome, when he turned his back to be beaten and bruised and laid open like a new plowed field, when the Lord Jesus allowed the Son of God, the Creator, When he allowed himself to be taken. Why don't people look at that? Instead, they're not even facing what they've done. And they're so blaming God for what he has not done. Think about what the Lord Jesus has done, even now. But I want you to think about the commitment here as well. The Lord Jesus is saying, We're going to go there. We're going to go. And the disciples are seeking to dissuade him. They say, You know how they were against you. They they wanted to kill you. And and you're going to go now? You're, You're going to take a chance with being beaten and killed. And The Lord Jesus knew exactly what he was doing, knew exactly the timetable he was on, exactly why he had come into the world. And he was absolutely committed to going to that cross, to that death that he came into the world to accomplish. The very work that would save sinners, that would provide the absolutely needed salvation that was required that only God could do. It was planned. God pushed through nations. God established the great truth that one day at a specific time in a specific place that the Son of God would enter into this world and Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, despite what men would do, despite what Satan would push against, all of that seeking to kill the children when he was born, seeking to stop him in his life and yet the Lord Jesus steps into time, and every step brought him closer and closer as he would go to the cross, absolutely committed. what, what a savior for you to receive. A Savior that is committed to seeing you saved. and longs for you to be saved. I want you to think about the concession, though, too, here. There's a concession in terms of what the sisters say. When they wanted to get the Lord Jesus to come, did you notice what they said in the beginning verses? He whom thou lovest is sick. It's interesting. The only features that the sisters could bring, Mary and Martha could bring before the Lord, for the lord jesus to come and and raise him up was the love of christ they never said lord you remember what lazarus did for you do you remember how lazarus told the people do you remember how lazarus was so kind to the people of bethany they never said any of that there was no aspect of lazarus's life that would be used or could be used to get the savior to give him this blessing to give him life and my friend that is so clearly seen in the sense of this there is nothing that you Can do, have ever done, that will ever entitle you to life. If you get what you deserve, if I got what I had deserved, I'd be punished for my sins. And there is nothing I could do to make God save me in the sense of anything of merit, anything where I would get him to look at me and see how good I was. In fact, the Bible makes it clear in Romans chapter 3 there is none that doeth good. No, not one. There's none righteous no, not one. And it's not by works of righteousness, which we have done. It's according to his mercy. And the sisters, what they did was they basically appealed to the love of God. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. And there's nothing you could do to make him love you more. And there's nothing you could do that would entitle you or enable you to get this gift in terms of anything of merit. You have to come just as a lost and guilty sinner, a sinner that's really incapable of doing anything. And so we have this concession, and they concede in that. I want you to think of the compassion that's seen in this passage, too. A compassion that's so clear. It touched my heart as I was reading this this afternoon again that the shortest verse in the Bible, Jesus wept, is connected with the longest problem of time itself. Right from the beginning, our sinfulness and death as a consequence of our disobedience, your disobedience. And yet, as the Lord Jesus, Looks around, stands at a graveside, looking at the tombs of victims of death itself, those that have succumbed under the power and the wages of sin. Jesus wept, broke his heart, the compassion of the Lord Jesus. Is it any wonder why He came? Do we ever have to question why did the Lord Jesus come? There are people that are stepping up to podiums, stepping up to jobs, stepping up to positions because They would like to add their ability or bring in this or bring in that, or they see needs that perhaps are related to a company or a business or a family. The Lord Jesus came into the world in great compassion to save sinners by dying on a cross, to give his life, to step into death itself and pay the price for sin. I want you to think, though, there is a condition here. And the condition is found in the comments and the statements of the Lord Jesus to Martha. And that's why I read those verses. He that believeth on me, that's it. He that believeth on me shall never die. And you say, well, Lazarus died. I know Christians that have died. How could the Lord Jesus say that? What did he mean? The Lord Jesus was speaking of the lasting effects of death, of the second death, a death that would have eternal consequences. And it was that very thing that the Lord Jesus came into the world to take care of so that those who believe on him would never be separated. In fact, he says that in John's gospel. No man comes to the Father but by me. He says it in Matthew's gospel. I am with you always. I will never leave you nor forsake you. And the sinner that trusts Christ has an inseparable link to God himself. And in that way, he will never die. There will never be experienced the second death. And that separation eternally. But notice the condition. It's based upon faith. You have the prominence of faith here. The Lord Jesus isn't saying to do any great work. He's not saying to pay any great price. He's not saying to be baptized, to join a church. He's not saying anything, in fact, that comes from you. The prominence is of faith in him, the person of faith. He that believeth on me. You know, there's all kinds of people that talk about God And it's God this and God that. And that's good. It's good to be God conscious for sure. But I want to tell you that salvation is in Christ alone. I want to be very careful what I'm going to say, but I want you to think about this. It was the Savior that died. People say, well, well, God cannot die. God is a spirit. And when the Lord Jesus, the Son of God, when he came into the world, he took upon himself humanity for many reasons. But one of the greatest reasons, the greatest reason is that so he could lay down his life, so he could suffer for sin, so he could actually give the payment that was required that he alone could do. And because of who he is, that payment is of infinite value to save the darkest sinner, to pay the price for the deepest mark, to save whosoever, he that believeth on me. But I want you to think of something else, the period of faith, he that liveth and believeth on me. In other words, this is only available in a lifetime. Once that lifetime expires, there is no opportunity for salvation. And so you need to come now because you never know when that life is going to end. You never know when you are going to die. And so it needs to be taken care of now. Once you notice something else, he put the emphasis in his word as well. And so when he goes to the tomb, he speaks the word, Lazarus, come forth. And he is reminding us and reminding you of the importance of the word of God. Did you notice when he said to Martha, he said, did I not tell you? Didn't I remind you of this earlier? That he that believeth on me, he was reminding her of his word. Can I ask you a question, you who are listening now? How many times have you heard his word? How many times have you, whether it's in a gospel meeting like this, or in person, or through a gospel tract, or through the word of a friend, or a companion, or whatever. How many times have you been reminded of the importance of the Word of God and of being saved now? And yet, maybe I'm speaking to someone and you're in your sins, and you don't have Christ, and you don't have life. I'm reminding you again, don't let this opportunity slip through your fingers. I want to end with the conqueror, calling him by name, standing there, Lazarus come forth. There's many reasons why people have said why he used his name. Some have suggested that, If he didn't, the entire cemetery would have come forth, maybe. But I like to think of this, just as you right now are hearing this message, so that day he called Lazarus specifically, individually. He called him by name. He called him personally. The Savior is calling for thee. Long as he called you in vain, would you listen tonight? Would you hear his voice? Come forth, receive Christ, receive life. Don't remain in your sins in the state of spiritually being dead, cut off, separated from God, you need life more than anything else. Because if tonight you were to breathe your last, you would be separated from God forever if you've never trusted the Savior who has conquered sin and death and hell by his death on the tree. Trust the Lord Jesus and you will be saved.
0: Yes, Christ is able to give us eternal life. Through his death on the cross, he has taken away the sin barrier that separates us from God. With this barrier forever removed, the gates of heaven are open, my friend. Will you trust him? God has given you another opportunity today. Don't put it off. None of us can count on being here tomorrow. If this or any of our Bible messages here at Anchor Point has made you aware of God's interest in you, or if you'd like some literature or a visit that would help you to understand these important truths, why don't you drop us a line at email at anchorpointradio.com. We'd love to hear from you. We're glad that you were able to join us at Anchor Point today. Anchorpoint is sponsored by believers in Christ who are meeting at various gospel halls. Each of these Christian assemblies holds gospel services every Sunday, as well as other meetings such as regular prayer and Bible studies throughout the week. No collection is ever taken, and a very warm welcome awaits you. If you've been challenged by today's message and would like to know more about the truth of the gospel or of gathering under the name of our Lord Jesus Christ following New Testament principles, take a look at our website at anchorpointradio.com. There you will find more information, as well as the location, programs, and meeting schedules for the gathering center nearest you. My name is John Sharp.